Hello, my name is uh, Dan Moore. My pronouns are he, him, and uh, today's scripture comes from Jonah 4, uh, CEB. Uh, but I'll try not to put too much sass into this, but when I read it, it's put all, okay, seems sassy to me. Uh, but Jonah thought that this was utterly wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. At this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me, because it would be better for me to die than to live. The Lord responded, is your anger a good thing? But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a shrub, and it grew up over Jonah, providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Jonah was very happy about the shrub, but God provided a worm the next day at dawn, and it attacked the shrub so that it died. Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, it's better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Jonah said, yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. But the Lord said, you pitied the shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise it. It grew in the night and perished in the night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's weird, right? Isn't that verse weird? What are your thoughts on it? Yes. Sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry. Yeah, like, but he got in trouble for doing that. <laughs> yes. But, you know. Yes. Mom likes her better than me. Sounds a little whiny, right? Yeah. Anyone else? Yes. That's good. I mean, yes, yes. A lot of things don't make us happy. He sounds a lot like us. Yes. I mean, this is where we see Jonah's motivation in the whole thing, that uh, everything comes from a place of racism, xenophobia, yes. other, othering these people. Yes. I don't want them. I don't want you to help them. That's right. Deserve it. Right. We have to ask ourselves where, you know, in America today, where are we doing that? Mm. Corey says this is where we see Jonah's full racism, xenophobia on display. And it's a good question for us in America, where are we in that kind of story? Yes. That's right. Renee says it sounds ludicrous that he would want to die after this very good thing, but we have fought wars for the same reasons we wanted them to die. Yes? And then a little bit like what Cindy was saying, it 
I may well just die if I yes, place. absolutely. Yes, sounding a little teenagery there. Yes. Yes, yes. That's right. Yeah, Jason said they didn't. He didn't believe that they would actually do this. That they would actually repent. That it would stick. And it's like Jonah goes outside the city, plops open a chair to eat popcorn to watch them blow up. Right? Yes. Very ungrateful. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Right at the very end. Yeah. And that's called pernicious grace. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. For right. For real. Right. Yeah, that word pity stood out to Sarah. Yes. 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 Yes, God tries over and over again, right? To like, I'm trying to get you to see this and you're just not there. Yes. Go ahead. Did you have your hand raised? Yes. 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 God was given Jonah time by questioning him, questioning him repeatedly. Yes. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I don't remember, I don't recall anyone, anyone in my commentaries commenting on that. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, JJ says that this correlation uh, between this story and the prodigal son, very reminiscent, very much a Jewish way to tell a story. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Vicky says that um, the the issue with uh, God sending the worm to kill the plant He had just created has led to spiritual trauma.
because people will attribute everything to God, that God caused this, God made this, and also the parable of the vineyard of the people that started at the beginning of the day and the people that started at the end of the day get the same, and it seems unfair. Yes? Yes. I'm glad you are linking some of this Old Testament with New Testament because it's not a mistake. It is a very Jewish way of telling a story. Um, so, let's dive in. Why was Jonah mad? The scripture says, but Jonah thought this was utterly wrong and he became angry. If we were to translate the Hebrew literally in this sentence, it would read just like this. And it was evil to Jonah, an evil great, and it burned to him. And it was evil to Jonah, an evil great, and it burned to him. That helps us understand how we get English, English translations, right? Because that's a really clunky way to say that. But our English translations soften this. I looked at every English translation I could find, and none of them actually come close to this. It burned to him. There's much more passion to Jonah's anger than he was just pissed. It was much deeper and much greater than just a general of like general feeling of, yeah, that didn't work. That's not, that's not fair. It was something that burned within him. And he prayed to the Lord, Come on, Lord, wasn't this precisely my point when I was back in my own land? This is why I fled to Tarshish earlier. I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, very patient, full of faithful love, and willing not to destroy. And at this point, Lord, you may as well take my life from me because it would be better for me to die than to live. I'm with Cindy on this one. I picture Jonah going, oh. Right? Like a whiny teenager. But the Lord responded, Is your anger a good thing? God did not condemn Jonah for his anger. He asked Jonah, Is it good for you to feel that way? He doesn't remark on Jonah's original flight to Tarshish. To get away from God, he doesn't remark on the content of Jonah's prayer here, and he does not reply to Jonah's death wish. Jonah gets God on God's own terms. Is your anger good for you? Is it good it burns to you? I like to say that God is having a Brene Brown moment right here, or an Oprah moment, whoever we want to go with. God asked Jonah to consider, why are you so angry? Where is that coming from? And how far has this anger gotten you? Tell me. Now that sounds something like we would say to our children, right? Like, okay, you're, you're mad, all right. Well, how's that working out for you? How's that working? God becomes Brene Brown. What have you accomplished by being so irrationally angry this whole time? What has it accomplished? God saved these people in spite of your anger. 
So what did you get out of this? Who was it, uh, I guess it was Dr. Phil that would say, what's the payoff for this? Because we get a payoff when we have bad behavior. We're rewarded by something. So what's the payoff? What's the payoff for him here? Well, nothing. Nothing, except he's still miserable. I love that our emotions don't get minimized by God. God doesn't say, you have no right to be angry. Who do you think you are? You have no right to be angry. I grew up in a household where emotions were not welcome. I don't know if any of you grew up in a household like that. Like you're crying, you're upset about something, and a parent or aunt or uncle will say, stop that crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Yes? Yes. God does not do that to Jonah. And I think that's beautiful. They don't get minimized by God, our emotions don't get minimized by God, but they can be confronted. Why are you angry? Why are you so sad? Why do you feel defeated? Why do you feel disappointment? God is concerned with our emotions. But Jonah went out from the city and sat down east of the city. There he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. For those of you that have seen Jonah, the VeggieTale Jonah, we see... Oh, you tied that. Hold that. We see Jonah go out the city gates of Nineveh, plop himself down in a chair... flip-flops on, got my sunglasses on on top of my glasses because I can't see otherwise. We see Jonah sit down and just do like this, just watching. Pretend not none of us that exit sign, just watching. Mm-hmm. Why did he do that? Because he was so self-righteous, he did not believe they really repented. He thought, that will never last. (laughs) They're animals. They're horrible. That ain't going to last. Give them a day or two, a week. God's going to strike that city down with a whatever God would strike a city down with. So I'm just going to sit here and watch because you know what? I was right. I am right. I am right that this is not going to work. And so he sits there and watches, waiting. He didn't believe that repentance would last. I am going to have to take these off so I can see. Now verse 5 tells us that Jonah built himself a hut to give him shade. And it's an interesting word for hut here because it can be translated shade, shelter, hut, But the original Hebrew is booth, B-O-O-T-H, a booth. And it's a Hebrew word that means sukkah. And it's often translated as booth, as in the festival of booths. Now, we all know that the Israelites have a lot of festivals, right? Where they celebrate, they mourn, 
They have a lot of uh, commemorations for these things, which I think is beautiful. But for the Festival of Booths, it actually celebrates the Israelite story of provision from God, provision from the physical, from a harvest that feeds them, and the political from Exodus when they were uh, led out of slavery and they were no longer slaves. But just their overall dependence, their overall spiritual material dependence on God. So that's what Jonah builds over himself, that kind of booth. And he misses it. He misses that this is supposed to signify everything that I am, everything that I have been, and everything that I will be is dependent on God. He misses it. And so the connection with the booth and with Jonah is God is creator and God is redeemer. He is creator. He created Jonah. He created the Ninevites. God is redeemer. He redeemed Jonah. And he was in the process of redeeming the enemy, the Ninevites. And he missed it, even though he had a physical representation of it right over his head. Then the Lord provided a shrub, and it grew over Jonah, which is our palm tree right here, which is not a shrub, but you get the point, I hope. Providing shade for his head and saving him from his misery. Saving him from his misery in more ways than one. Jonah was very happy about the shrub. I love this idea of Jonah that no matter what Jonah does, God still provides for Jonah. It doesn't matter. God still provides for Jonah. No matter how far we run from him, no matter how deep our bigotry goes, no matter how angry we are, no matter how badly we treat people, no matter how selfish we are, no matter how self-destructive we are, God provides. And God provided this shrub. The booth and the plant serve two purposes. The booth confirms Jonah as he is. But the plant seeks to save him from himself. And so the next day, God provided a worm, and it attacked the shrub and that it died. I thought about popping the balloon, but I thought that would, might be a little bit traumatic and loud, so I, I'm not going to do that. So you just have to pretend that it's gone. It's not there anymore. That doesn't look like it, but God is still providing for Jonah. He's still providing, even through this worm. He's still trying to get through to Jonah, trying to save him from himself. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. Am I right? Sometimes we have to come to the absolute dead level end of ourselves. But those rock bottom lessons are the ones that last a lifetime. How many of you have been at rock bottom before? How many of you remember the lessons you were taught? Or you remember, right? We can go back there. We remember. I remember. Oh, I remember. Jonah loved that plant so much. It gave him extra protection from the elements. And this is the first time in all the story of Jonah that we read that Jonah is happy. Jonah is happy over plant, a plant. He wasn't, the text doesn't say he was happy from being saved from the fish. It doesn't say he was happy when the Ninevites repented and were spared destruction. This plant made Jonah happy. And Jonah was still missing the point. 
God was still trying to save Jonah from himself. And then in verse 8, Then as the sun rose, God provided a dry east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. He begged that he might die, saying, It is better for me to die than to live. Again, this, this is the picture. Jonah said, God said to Jonah, Is your anger about the shrub a good thing? Not, you have no right to be angry. No. Is your anger about this shrub a good thing? And Jonah says, yes, my anger is good, even to the point of death. How many of you watch the series The Sopranos? Anybody? Oh, y'all don't want to confess that you watch The Sopranos, do you? Well, I little fact about me. I love mobster movies. I love mafia movies. I've seen them all. I've watched them all. If they're on during the day somewhere or at night somewhere, I'm stopping to watch them. I happen to marry someone that hates them. So I don't get to watch the reruns as, many, as much as I used to, unless he's not in the house. I love mobster movies. So in the story of The Sopranos, the main character is Tony Soprano, head of this crime family. His wife's name is Carmela. His uh, daughter's name is Meadow, and he has a son named Anthony Jr. And so Tony is the head of this mafia family. And it goes, this, this series goes for six seasons. And so at the end of season six, at the very last episode, series finale, you're not, in every single season and every single episode, you're thinking, okay, Tony's getting killed this time. Tony's a goner. Tony's gone for so at any moment, you're waiting for Tony to die. He has so many enemies. He's been awful to so many people. So you're just waiting for him to get his comeuppance. And so this is how the last episode of Sopranos goes. Tony walks into a diner in New Jersey, and Don't Stop Believing is playing on the radio. Now you're going to have that song in your head, I hope, by Journey. Don't Stop Believing is playing on the radio in the diner. Tony goes into the diner. He sits down with his wife, Carmela, and his daughter, Meadow, and his son, Anthony Jr. He's sitting in a booth back from the front door. But Tony's still facing the front door, okay? People are coming in and out, and every time that door opens, you hear that cha-ching. It's got one of those bells for the door so you know someone's come in or someone's left. So he, you know, he'll look up. The song's still playing. They're trying to decide what they're going to eat. And you hear the doorbell ring. The doorbell, whatever you call that thing. The chime. But you don't see who's coming through. You only see Tony's face. So Tony's watching that door. It opens. You hear the bell. And the screen fades to black. And that's the end of The Sopranos. That's it. It's an iconic ending. Critics will call it one of the best endings for a series ever. It was iconic. People that uh, direct and produce films and TV series after that, it's like the Soprano effect. We're going to end it like the Sopranos. Now, I'm not comparing Jonah to a mob, mobster or the mafia, but we don't get that much of a satisfying ending from the book of Jonah either. Like with Tony Soprano, you don't know, is that somebody coming in to kill him? 
They're going to kill his whole family. What's happening? Or is it just a delivery guy bringing in some fries? You don't know. It invites you to use your imagination as to what happened to Tony Soprano and his family. But the Lord said, you pitied the shrub, shrub for which you didn't work and which you didn't raise. It grew in a night and perished in a night. Yet for my part, can't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? I'm going to have to do a little digging on that 120,000 this week. I'll let you know what I find. Jonah ends with God questioning Jonah, and that's it. We don't know what Jonah's response is. The writer of Jonah invites us to imagine, how do we think Jonah responded to that question? God provided an opportunity for Jonah to see himself honestly, clearly, through the well, through the booth, through the plant. But we don't know if Jonah ever got there. We have to use our imaginations. But we also are given that question. What will we do when we are confronted with that kind of mirror? I've said all along that Jonah is a mirror for us. What will we do when we are honestly looking at ourselves in a mirror? Who are we? Do we have some xenophobia? Do we have some bigotry and racism and prejudices? Will we continue to be petty Will we continue to deceive ourselves about the truth of who we really are? Will we continue to judge those who are not like us? Oswald Chambers, in his devotion, this was back in the early 90s. It's written in the 1920s and 1930s, but back in the early 1990s, it became big again. And everyone in my circle was reading Oswald Chambers. It's a daily devotional. And um, he, in one of his particular devotions... He says, people who, I'm paraphrasing, people who, can, people who irritate us can be a mirror for how we have behaved or are behaving now. They can be a mirror for who we really are. Somebody's getting on your last nerve. Sometimes if that's a repetitive behavior from this person, it could be your mirror. It could be your mirror of saying, oh, babe. You got some of that in you too, if we let it. Back in the day when Colby was little, he's my oldest, uh, he's 29, when he was an itty bitty thing, there was a woman in my church, her name was Laurie, and she was just a little bit younger than me, had just gotten married, did not have children, and she would say these bossy things about what I should do with my kids. Like, I wouldn't let them do that. I, I think that's a mistake. I, I really think you should do this and not that. And I would get so irritated with her. Like, what the? Who do you think? You don't even have children. Shut up. You don't know. You know, you're doing the best you can, right? You're doing the best you can. And then some young thing comes along and thinks she knows better than you about how to raise your kid. And I want to tell you that worked on me, on my last nerve, for months until I read this Oswald Chambers devotion one day. That mirror. Oh, 
I've been that way. I am being that way towards someone else. Maybe I'm not as vocal as she is. Oh, but I think it. I'm judging. That mirror, that's what Jonah invites us to do. But Jonah also leaves us with this tension. There is tension in this story between God's mercy and God's justice. The Ninevites were not good people. They were terrorists. They were horrible people. They had done irreparable harm and would continue to do irreparable harm to the Israelites. They deserved a reckoning over their monstrous behavior. They deserved God's justice, not God's mercy. And that tension of God's mercy and God's justice remains with us today. Those who have harmed us through abuse, bigotry, discrimination, words, actions designed to wound, actions toward us designed to wound. We need God's justice. I want God's justice. You need to pay for that. You had no right to treat me that way. There should be consequences for you. That tension remains. I want to be vulnerable with you for a few minutes. I feel compelled to share with you the profound effect that Jonah has had in my life. Jonah held up a mirror to me, and I did not like what I saw. I have been in a Jonah season for a long time. I was hurt by someone and was not able to forgive. The hurt was deep. There was tremendous harm. And I don't feel any shame or guilt that I held on to it for as long as I did. I just don't. Years ago, I would have. I would have, what's wrong with you? Why can't you forgive? Why can't you let? I didn't do that. It just was what it was. I just believe that deep wounding from someone else takes a long time to heal. Longer than what we think it should be. And we may not ever fully heal from wounds of others. But we have to get to a place of peace with it. That what happened could not be undone. So how do we live with it? How do we live with this kind of wounding? Now we've all heard the phrase, learning to live without the apology I never received. Or to forgive someone without the apology. That's hard. That's some hard work. And I also want to say this as I'm sharing this with you. I do not believe in reconciliation without repentance. I just don't. I believe when we've wounded somebody and somebody's wounded us, you hope for reconciliation, but without recognizing what I've done to hurt you and how deeply I've hurt you, there probably, not going to be, there probably doesn't need to be reconciliation. There may need to be a forgiveness, but a God bless you, go your way, 
Hope the best for you. I'm going this way. I was taught for years that forgiveness works this way, that we are to reconcile after we forgive. Say we're sorry and move on. I no longer believe that. I don't believe it's realistic, and I don't believe it's biblical. Here's the main thing that Jonah showed me through that mirror. In this instance, in this unforgiveness for me, I preferred retributive justice rather than restorative justice. I wanted this person to get what they deserved. Man, they deserve bad things. I'm not proud of feeling that way. I don't say that to you with any pride in my heart at all. I say this to you to be vulnerable because we're all human beings and I think we all will experience that at some time or another. You should get what's coming to you. My hurt had developed into bitterness. And at that point, I was racing down a path with no clear exits, all street lights are gone, and it is unknown territory. Bitterness can do that to us. Jonah revealed to me how bitter I was becoming, a mirror. Jonah wanted restorative justice, justice for himself, but retributive justice for the people of Nineveh. I wanted restorative justice for myself, but retributive, retributive justice for this other person. Brian Morris says, whatever traits and qualities that you believe God has, you will tend to mimic. I had forgotten the restoration, the redemption, the loving kindness, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness that others have shown to me along the way, and certainly that God has. I had forgotten. I was Jonah. What's happened has happened. That apology, that repentance will most likely not occur. Although with God, all things are possible. But if anybody else in the room is in a season like that, I want to say to you with all the love I have in my heart for this congregation and the people of this community, let it go. Let it go. Stop all the vain imaginings that it could have been any different. Allow God to provide the way, to show you the way, to let it go. In closing, I want to uh, read a prayer from my journal from uh, a poet, Laura Jean Thurman. And this is what she prays. God, today it's hard to pray that terrible people would repent and turn to restoration. I want them to stay evil, and I want them to be destroyed. Touch my bitter Jonah heart. Remind me of my baptism. Replace my longing for punishment with a longing for your kingdom come. Amen.